praise be to God that Christ reigns. And we as a people desire to be ever thinking about ever forever singing of the reign of Christ. Uh, that's why we have introduced this song, All Glory Be to Christ. I encourage you, dear friends, to, uh, to meditate on it this week. Uh, we'll be singing it a few times until it becomes a part of our uh, repertoire as a congregation and encourage you to meditate indeed on the fact, the truth that God has made Jesus to be king. And God has given his kingdom to King Jesus. And that kingdom has come. It is not fully consummated. It is not fully manifested, but one day will. And it is with that thought that I would encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. We'll be reading from verse 1 all the way to chapter 12, verse 6, as we continue our sermon series through the book of Isaiah. If you are new to our congregation, we're so delighted that you're with us. If you did not bring a Bible with you, we encourage you to find a Bible provided in the chairs in front of you. And you may find this passage on page number 575. As you turn here, I want to inform you that we as a congregation are going uh, through a sermon series in the book of Isaiah, and uh, we have worked through the first 10 chapters, and we are working today and next week through chapter 11 and chapter 12. Here's the word of the Lord for our hearts this morning. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his, his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with a young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinear, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. 
but they shall swoop down on their shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people. And there was for Israel. And there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, you will, your anger turned away, that your might might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Proclaim His name. Um, proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, as we stand before your word, we pray that you would speak to the hearts of your people in a way that would bring glory to your name and in a way that your people would be edified. Father, we pray this in the name of Christ and through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, we've read these two chapters together because they belong together. This, these two chapters form a part in the book of Isaiah that brings us to the end of the first major of the five major parts of Isaiah. Uh, in some ways, we are reaching uh, the, a picture of what God will do, what God promised to do uh, to his people. And as we read and as we have heard uh, the words in this passage, you may see resemblances of it uh, to what will happen at the end of the book of Isaiah. In some ways, this is a, a mini ending, a foreshadowing of what the end is about to bring. Uh, this, these chapters do feel like an ending, particularly verse chapter 12, uh, that describes so clearly how the remnant of God's people uh, will respond to God after his restoration will be fully manifested. Notice in chapter 12, notice what God says to his people that they will say in that day. It's a future day. They will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. If, if you were with us last week, you remember that chapter 9 and 10 revealed why God's anger was not going to be turned away. Not only is God saying, I am angry with my people, in chapter 9 and 10, God said, here's why my anger will not turn away. God said that his anger was not going to turn away because of their arrogance and self-sufficiency, which led them 
to continued rebellion against God. So God planned to use Assyria to wipe out the northern kingdom of Israel. And after Assyria accomplished God's plan, Assyria too was going to be punished by God. For even though Assyria was God's instrument to punish his people, Israel, Assyria too was arrogant and self-sufficient. So God determined to wipe out Assyria also. And this destruction of Assyria is portrayed at the end of chapter 10 through a number of pictures. And one of the pictures of the destruction of Assyria is a picture of a great forest that will be cut down. A a great land full of trees cut down. Now just imagine that picture. A picture of destruction. A picture of no hope. A picture of no more life. That's how God describes the destruction he will bring against Assyria. Through this picture of trees cut off. Well, in chapter 11, the picture of a tree cut off continues. And this time, it is being used to represent God's people, not just Assyria. And we know from chapter 6 that God used uh, a picture of, of of, of a tree cut down to describe how God will judge his own people. But in the midst of this picture, on the, against the backdrop of this, of this picture of trees cut off, God gives a message of promise and hope that he will restore his people. So as we look at chapter 11 and 12, first of all, we will not complete everything in these chapters in one sermon. Today we are looking at really the first half of, of, of a much longer sermon And next week, Lord willing, we will finish uh, the second part of of these two chapters. But here's the first, we'd like to work through three points in the first half of these two chapters. Of how God is planning, how God is promising to restore his people. Here's the first truth that God says about restoring his people. God restores his people by promising a new king. God restores his people by promising a new king. Look at verse 1 in chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, why the stump of Jesse? Why that expression, explanation, that title? Because Jesse was the father of King David. And by calling him the stump of Jesse, God is reviving the royal line, the kingship among his people. In other words, God is restoring his people by sending them a new king. God begins healing his people by restoring the royal line, the kingship. Friends, there are people, some even today, who desire to be restored, healed, saved. And they may even be okay with the idea of, of accepting Jesus as, as a Savior. But recognize that many people don't, may not understand that if you want Jesus as a Savior, you have to have him as a king as well. 
You, you can't have Jesus merely just as a savior and not as a king. There are people today who want a Jesus who is a social worker. They want a Jesus who is a therapist. They want a Jesus who is a, a buddy. They want a Jesus who is a sugar daddy. But God's plan to restore his people is by restoring to them their king. God is going to restore his people by promising them a king. Now, the fact that Jesse is portrayed here as a stump rather than a tree reminds us that even Jesse's line was cut off. In the destruction that God brought against his people, even Jesse's house, even the promises, even the kings that have come out of him, even they have been cut off. In chapter 6, verse 13, God described the destruction that he will bring against his own people using the imagery of a tree that has been cut off. God says in, in, or God in Isaiah 6, uh, 13 says, And though a tenth remain in the land, it will be burnt again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. But now in chapter 11, Isaiah draws our attention not to the whole stump of the whole nation of Israel, but Isaiah draws our attention to one particular stump of many who have been cut off in Israel, the stump of Jesse. Why? Because this one is the royal line. From the royal line, a branch begins sprouting up. And the branch coming out of Jesse's stump will bear fruit. It will not fail. This means that God's judgment against his people looked like all hope had perished. Just as a tree that is cut off. And, and imagine, dear friends, an entire forest of trees. Friends, you don't have to drive far from here to get a picture of that. Just drive by Bastrop, and you will see that what, what used to be great forests, a great forest with great trees, is just burnt stumps. Now, that's the kind of picture. No hope. And yet Isaiah says, but there's a stump among them all, the stump of Jesse. It will start shooting forth a sprout. And it will be not just a tree. It will be a fruitful tree. And he will bear fruit. This means that God is going to start again building his people. And how is this rebuilding of his people initiated? By the birth of a new king. And friends, is it not interesting that in the New Testament, Jesus is often described as a descendant of David as the offspring of David, or as the offspring of Jesse. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, says Paul to Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. David, Paul wanted to make sure that people understand, Jesus is the king in the line of David. Romans 15, 12, and again, Paul says about Isaiah, Isaiah says the root of Jesse will come, even he, he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. 
In Revelation 22, 16, now Jesus is describing himself. Here's how Jesus presents himself. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. Friends, God has been faithful to his promise, and he did cause a fruitful branch to sprout out of the stump of Jesse. God is faithful to restore his people by sending them a new king, and God did send that king, and that is King Jesus. Now, the rest of this chapter will describe the new king and his rule. And in verses 2 to 5, we see the, the second point of the sermon, the character of this king. The character of this king. Notice how verses 2 to 5 describe this, this shoot, this branch that is coming up. Notice what he will have upon him. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. What will make this king ready and qualified to rule over God's people is that he will have God's spirit upon him. It's the spirit of God that, makes, that will make this king ready and qualified to have dominion and to establish his kingdom anew. And notice in this passage how the spirit of God is described. What will the spirit of God upon this, upon this king Give this king. Look at, look at verses 2, to, 2, 3, and 4, and 5. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit will give the ability to discern what is truly wise. The spirit will also be a spirit of counsel and might. The spirit will give this king the ability to govern by counseling and exerting his power. The spirit also is a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Spirit will give the king knowledge. But not only knowledge, he will give the king the fear of the Lord. Now, the three pairs of descriptions describe what the Spirit of the Lord will grant this king. Through the Spirit, will this king have wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord? Friends, none of us can, can fill the shoes of this ideal king. None of us. But just as the Spirit of the Lord rests upon him and gives him these qualities, so also when the Spirit of the Lord rests upon us as a congregation, the Spirit is able to give us similar qualities of spiritual wisdom and understanding, godly counsel and strength, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That is why the Apostle Paul oftentimes when he prayed for the churches he often prayed that they would grow in these qualities. Why? Because wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, that's where spiritual wisdom is. That's where spiritual understanding is. That's where the knowledge of the Lord is. That's where the fear of the Lord is. When we consider why we can trust King Jesus, well, friends, if you're here this morning and you wonder, why should you, why should you give attention to King Jesus? It's because of the kind of king he is and the kind of way he, he reigns. This is why we can embrace his reign. This is why we can cherish his rule and dominion over us because he's a king with these kind of qualities. But notice how this king will relate to the Lord. In verse 3, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Yes, you heard it right. His delight 
will be in the fear of the Lord. In our vocabulary, it's unfortunate that the word fear oftentimes is viewed as something negative, related to or associated with terror, with fears that make us shrink back. But in the Bible, the notion of the fear of the Lord is not about being terrified about God or somehow shrinking back from God or trying to hide away from God. No, it's quite the opposite. The fear of the Lord is to revere God and acknowledge that He and He alone is God. To joyfully submit to Him. To joyfully embrace Him. To joyfully follow Him. This King will delight in the fear of the Lord. For this King... The fear of the Lord will not be a burden. For this king, the fear of the Lord will not be a checkoff in his list of to-dos. For this king, the fear of the Lord will be his delight. Friend, I wonder, I wonder if you find the fear of the Lord to be the delight of your life. Would you say about you, Would you say about this past week that the fear of God is your delight this week? I wonder wonder if he was not, and, and even in preparing for this message, I was challenged and convicted to work through this myself. I thought, I don't think I'm cognizant in my own ways, in my own doings during the week, that I want to make the fear of the Lord to be my delight. I wonder, moving forward, What would it look like for you? What would would you have to do in your week, in your schedule, in your patterns of, of living life, in your attitude to make the Lord, to make the fear of the Lord to be your delight this week? The king whom God promised to raise has this characteristic. Notice also how this king will relate to his people. In verse 3, second part of verse 3, he will judge them not by appearances but by reality. Look at verse 3b. He shall judge. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. In other words, the nature of his reign will not tolerate appearances or facades. You know, this king is, will not be gullible to our manipulations of him. This king will not be gullible to what we can put up as, as simply appearances. We may be able to trick people. We may be able to manipulate situations. We may be able to give some very good first impressions and keep those very good impressions even though that's not who we really are. But friends... People will not be able to trick the judgment of this king. His judgments are with righteousness. And then notice also about this king, how he will conquer. Verse 4, we're told that he will overcome the earth. This king shall strike the earth. He shall kill the wicked. Oh, friends, be concerned over this king. He's wonderful, but he's also not someone we can just play with. And ignore and somehow think that we can keep doing what we're doing in our, unwick, in our wicked, unrighteous ways. No, he will strike the earth. He will kill the wicked. But notice how. It is not through the sword. It is through the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. 
Verse 4, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. In other words, by merely what comes out of his mouth, he is able to strike and kill. This king, I love how one, one theologian said, this king needs no other display of power and no other weapon of enforcement than to bear than the bare word that he speaks. Friends, this is why we care deeply about the word of God. This is why we give time to read God's word. And even if there are longer passages, it's going to be long. It's okay. Just wait until we get to chapter 13 to 27. We're not afraid of doing that. We're not afraid to have longer time in our services where we just hear God's word proclaimed and applied and explained. Why? Because King Jesus rules over his people and he conquers the earth through his word. That's all that's needed. That's all that Jesus needs to conquer. I love how one of, one of my professors once wrote, uh, in, it is primarily in the church's reading of the scripture that the risen Christ through his spirit exercises his lordship over the church. Praise be to God that King Jesus is able to strike, is able to conquer. It is not through sword, it is through the mere use of what comes out of his mouth. Notice his clothing. Lastly, notice his clothing. The only part of the clothing that is revealed in this, belt is, in this, in this text is his belt. The belt symbolizes readiness for action. What kind of action is this king ready to execute? Look at verse 5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. In other words, this king, my dear friends, is ready to act. And he will act in faithfulness and in righteousness. Friends, this passage with these descriptions of the king that, G that God is sending to his people is one of the most beautiful passages that describes Jesus in the Old Testament. And I pray that as you meditate on these five characteristics of King Jesus, let these characteristics encourage you. Let these characteristics draw you closer to Jesus. Find him precious. Find him more precious than anything this world can offer us especially knowing that it is through this king that God is planning to restore his people. It is through him that God wants to restore your life and mine. For the rest of this chapter, we'll see the nature of his reign. For the rest of this chapter, we'll see the nature of his reign. But dear friends, we'll look at that next week. There's so much we could unpack here. And I feel we have just gotten ourselves into understanding who it is that God is sending to his people. But I want to make sure that if there's anyone among us here who is not a Christian, perhaps you have been attending church for a long time, perhaps you've, or recently you started learning about God, I want to encourage you to consider Jesus. I want to encourage you to recognize who he is. God promised to send him hundreds of years before he actually came as a human being. And he described in, the, in the, some of the greatest detail the kind of things that King Jesus planned to do. Friends, if you don't know him, I'm calling on you to repent of your sin. Trust in him. Believe in him. Rely on him for your salvation. If you'd like to know more about this King Jesus, I would love to talk to you. But this king is bringing a kingdom, dear friends. 
that is nothing short than the language that we see in the Garden of Eden. His kingdom will restore the entire creation and will bring it back to the kind of realities that are seen and have been seen only in Genesis 1 and 2. Continue to read our passage for next week. And you'll see these realities, these pairs of animals that may say, what does this have to do with the gospel? It has everything to do with the gospel because when King Jesus comes, he promises that his kingdom will bring everything back to the way it used to be in Genesis 1 and 2. And not only that, as you will continue to read chapter 11, you will see that this kingdom, the reign of this kingdom, will not only bring full harmony, the reign of this kingdom will be universal. It's not only for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. And King Jesus will gather the nations. Friends, we'll look at the second half of that sermon next week, Lord willing. But I pray that as we consider what God promised to do, that we consider that he had promised to restore his people by sending them a king and by telling us what kind of king he will be. I pray that you would cherish him. I pray that we would follow him. I pray that we would exalt in his name. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Our Father in heaven, you alone, you alone are able to bring life from a tree that has been cut off. You alone are able to bring hope in situations that have become totally and utterly hopeless. You alone are able to restore that which you have destroyed. You alone are able to bring glory to yourself by restoring your people. And Father, we thank you that you have chosen to do so by sending a king. And what a king he is. Father, we pray that the people gathered in this place will continue to grow in cherishing King Jesus. Father, that we would continue to boast in him and him alone. Father, we pray that we would, we would treasure him above all things. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that if there's anyone among us here who has not yet re returned to King Jesus, we pray that you would open their hearts to do so for the glory of your name and for the coming of your kingdom. It is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.